Isn't that great? What a word. What a testimony. And in fact, that uh, family was in our Discover Cross Life Church uh, class uh, this morning, and they're there even now. And so, uh, you know, people have asked the question. In fact, one of our staff per- people asked the question this past, past week. So do we even tell people how to, to join our church? And uh, I said, well, we used to have it in the bulletin the days of old. But basically, uh, you join Cross Life, first of all, by inviting Jesus into your heart. And we'll talk about more about that in just a minute uh, at the close of the service. And then you follow the Lord as Dennis and his family did in believer's baptism. And we may be talking about that as well in a few weeks. But then you go to discover Cross Life class, two and a half hour, three hour class that meets on a Sunday morning about every month, once a month. And you discover what the church is about and, and where we're going. I mean, it's a good thing to, before you get on a train, to kind of find out where it's going, right? Uh, that's always good advice or a plane. And so, uh, you know, we just offer you that. This morning, we are in a series of messages on the best news. Now, in weeks past, we've kind of shared with you in small group, adult small group, but also from the pulpit about this little track, about this little booklet. And I hope that you're giving away. If you haven't already passed that group of five all the way down the road, please do that now. We want you to have five of these this week. In fact, uh, we could pass out about 2,000 of these probably this week, just from this group. We, we don't need the first service to do that, you know, uh, for, from this group. And I've, uh, I've given this, this uh, little track to almost everybody uh, that are coming in contact with, this, uh, with uh, this week. And just by simply saying, look, I just want to share with you the best news uh, that you've ever heard. And you can throw this away if you'd like, but uh, it's got a little presentation on the, in the middle. And if you're interested, there's a QR code right here. You can just uh, scan that, go right on it, explain a lot more for you. And so in this series of messages, one of the things that we've talked about, besides sharing your faith and how to pray for a lost person, is the greatest barrier to sharing our faith, and that is fear. And last week we said that fear in general, in general, can be defined as feeling like you lack the resources to do the task. And I gave the illustration about uh, swimming out into a lake one day with my brother-in-law, and he was a much better swimmer than me. And I suddenly realized, hey, I'm getting tired. I'm really tired, and I've got to go all the way back. And I had to end up floating, turn around swimming a little bit more. And yeah, there was a little fear there. Am I going to be able to, to reach the shore? And I remember my dad, who was a great swimmer, said, I thought I was going to have to come in there and get you. And I looked at him and said, what stopped you? <laughs> you know, I mean, I was pretty close. I was fearful because I lacked the resources. Well, what is the resource that you and I have? There's a promise in the Bible that tells us that we have all the resources that we need, not only to live the Christian life, but to also be a powerful, impactful witness for Jesus Christ. Let's open the book book to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, we find that Luke, who is an eyewitness of all the things that Jesus Christ said or did, or he was doing either an eyewitness or an eyewitness account of of, uh, of Paul's uh, experience, and uh, he's known as a historian. In fact, he wrote the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the gospel of Luke to the same guy, Theophilus, here in verse 1, And he was a Roman officer, and he's trying to lead him to the Lord. And so he wrote the history of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Now he comes back with a sequel, and he's writing the beginning 
of the church and the history of the very early church to Theophilus. And as we're doing this, he says these words, verse three, he presented, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard of me for John baptized you, John the Baptist baptized you with water, but not many days, he says, uh, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He goes on to say in verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, the key to this whole passage, just like the key to really the whole book, probably is verse 8. And we're going to be looking at this because we ask ourselves some questions about this verse. First of all, what does it mean? What does it mean, the power of the Holy Spirit? What's the message? What, what is Jesus trying to get across to us? And then finally, the motivation, verses 9 through 11. Now, keep in mind as Jesus was there. He's about, in verses 9 and 11, says he's about to ascend up into heaven. He had already died on the cross, rose again on the third day. He had spent 40 days with his disciples. He was teaching them. He says, now, I want you to remember one thing before I leave you, one thing. Usually, the last thing you talk to someone about before you leave, like a deathbed, kind of confession or instruction is the most important thing. So what was the most important thing? What was Jesus saying? Look, if you don't remember much of what I've said, remember this. He says, I want you to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. One time event, they were waiting for on the day of Pentecost for the spirit of God to descend upon mankind for the very first time in this way that he lives within us. He says, you wait and you will get all the resources you need through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean? First of all, let's look at this word, Holy Spirit. He says, you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, the Holy Spirit is really God. He's the third member of the Trinity. We talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, how do I know he's God? Well, the Bible says he's God. Part of the Trinity. Listen to Acts 5. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived for this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to who? Somebody tell me. God. So he says, first, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Now you've lied to God. Why is that so important? We think to ourselves that we divide things up. Well, the Father, you've got to kind of worship the Father, right? You've got to, you know, Jesus, you, you have to be saved through him. And the Holy Spirit kind of guides you and gives you a little bit of power. What we don't get the concept of is all of this is God. For example, we've said before that when uh, Jesus died on the cross, God died on the cross. God was represented, God the Father, 
God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, were all represented in the body of Jesus Christ. And he, they, gave, they gave, that is, the Trinity of God, God in the flesh, one God, three personalities, all were involved in our salvation. Well, it's true when Jesus invite, we invite Jesus into our heart. Somebody says, oh, you don't invite Jesus into your heart. It's the Holy Spirit who comes into your heart. Yeah, but the Bible says invite Jesus into your heart. So you invite Jesus into your heart and figure out the rest later. We miss the point. We miss the point in the fact that when we invite Jesus to come into our heart, the Bible says he is represented by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us to give us this power, but the entire Godhead is represented by the Holy Spirit. And dear friends, when all of God, the Trinity of God lives in your life, you've got power. Do you not? The Bible says all power. I said, I've said it once, let me say it twice, says the psalmist. All power belongs to God. So you and I have the power of the Spirit of God in our life, the power of the Trinity. Listen to what Joel says in the Old Testament. Here's a, here's a prophecy of what happened, was about to happen in Acts chapter 2. He says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters, shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. The Bible says this is fulfilled in our heart right here. The book of Acts says that. This is fulfilled. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come and give you power. And now it's fulfilled in our heart. So when do you receive the Holy Spirit? What is that all about? What, what are the, as we work through the gymnastics of it all in the Bible, which is really a mystery. I want you to notice it says in verses four and five, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And what was that promise? You will be baptized, verse 5, with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he says, look, John baptized with water. As we've seen on the video just a few moments ago, that's how John the Baptist did it, lowered him to the water. A picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is the very first thing you do after you're saved because you're identifying with Jesus Christ the way he identified with you when uh, John the Baptist baptized him. But that's with water. He says the Holy Spirit will baptize you. Now, I'm not going to get into semantics with you. Certainly uh, the 19th century, early part of the 20th century, when people talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were often talking about uh, a second anointing or a second blessing of some type. But the Bible teaches that even though the words baptism and filling are sometimes interchangeable, they are distinctive of one another. For example, the Bible says, for by one spirit, you are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all made to drink of one spirit. It goes on to say, Romans 8, it says, you, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Flesh meaning without Christ. You're in the Spirit, and if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Emphatically, Paul is Apostle Paul is teaching us through the Word of God that when you and I have the Holy Spirit of God, we are children of God. If not, then you're not part of him. Listen to what Ephesians uh, 2 says. In fact, I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase this. The entire chapter, first 10 verses of chapter 2, talk about the fact that our spirit is kind of dead on the inside, really. 
we got a dead spirit. We've got a body, soul, spirit. Our soul is alive. Our body's alive. But that part of us that communicates with God is dead. Now, the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God at salvation comes into our heart, ignites that old dead spirit, and we are what the Bible would call born again. We're born from above. We're born of God. And now our spirit is, is alive through the Holy Spirit. Now we have communication and power with God. If that has not happened to you, then the Bible teaches us if you don't have the spirit, you're, you're not a believer in Christ. You've never been born again. And so right now, as a believer in Christ, you have all the power, all the resources you need to live the Christian life and to witness in his name. All of it. You say, well, you know, I don't feel like I have all of it. Well, that's where the filling of the Holy Spirit comes in. You see, you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, and when you do, you receive all the Holy Spirit. In fact, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the reason you're excited. You have joy in your life, peace in your life. You, you feel so forgiven of everything that you've ever done. It's like when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's, it's impossible to say, I'm turning my life over to Christ without Jesus becoming my Lord and Master. But he isn't always, he's not always your Lord and Master. In fact, you, it's hard to go through the day with Jesus being your Lord and master the whole day. It's, it's a struggle. Same way with the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells it this way. It says in Ephesians 5, 18, do not be drunk with wine. That is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's kind of the illustration that Paul gives us. Don't be drunk with wine, but as the man is staggers, man is staggering because why? Well, He's controlled. The wine is controlling his walk. And he stutters because the mind or slurs, the mind is, is being controlled and the mouth is being controlled by the wine. He says, don't be controlled by that wine. Be you that controlled by the spirit of God. Now, that's what it's referring to. And you say, well, now, wait a minute. I'm confused, Pastor. On one Sunday, maybe you talk about God being on the throne. He's first place in your life. And then you talk about Jesus being Lord of our life. And now you're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Which one is it? It's all. Again, the Trinity is involved in this. God, and it's manifested in a little bit different way by each part of the Godhead. But the Father, well, it's an act of worship. He's first place in your life because we are to worship him first. Jesus is Lord of our life because he's our new master in this life. We have Jesus as Lord of our life. He is going to be the guide force in our life on what we do through the word of God. The spirit, however, is about an anointing. It's about a filling. It's about uh, anointing for service. And an anointing for living the Christian life. It's manifested in the same way or a different way, but it's the, basically the same thing. It's just described in a different way according to each part of the Godhead. And so the Bible teaches us that we can be filled, but we're not always filled, are we? One of the illustrations I guess I could give for this is uh, I just had my physical this past week. And just to let you know, I came through with flying colors. All right? Now, the, bio, you know, the, the doctor did say 
that I've lost a little weight, so therefore I'm no longer morbidly obese. Now I'm just obese, okay? So maybe it wasn't flying colors, but it was, it was passing. I passed. And so uh, one of the things that you may have trouble with, you may have trouble with high blood pressure. I don't. I don't have to struggle with that at all. But I do struggle with things like triglycerides and cholesterol, especially not having enough of good, good cholesterol. And so I have to watch that. I have to constantly be on guard with that a little bit. And so I did a little research. And it seems like the triglycerides are little fatty things. I know that's kind of gross. But the fatty thing in, in your blood, you know, these little fat particles in your bloodstream, in your veins. Now, they're, they're harmful, but they don't have to be harmful. They can wash right through. They can just go right through some way, somehow. But the cholesterol hardens the triglycerides, the fatty tissue. And when that happens, you're all clogged up. Now, this is not a biblical illustration, by the way. All right. It's out of the medical field, like I'm an expert or something. Um, it's out of the medical field. I'll compare the triglyceride to sin. Sin in our life. Well, you've sinned, I've sinned. In fact, we, we struggle with having Jesus Christ our Lord being filled with the Holy Spirit and never sinning. I mean, we, it's hard to go through a day without that. And so the fatty tissue, well, it's going to be in your blood, a certain amount of it, maybe not too much, like mine sometimes, but it's going to be in there. But the cholesterol, when it's not right, is sort of like the lack of repentance in our life. And the lack of repentance, that stubbornness that says, I'm not going to give up my sin. I'm going to be remaining where I am. It begins to harden those uh, little fatty tissues and it blocks the blood flow to your heart. When you and I sin against the Lord and don't repent, we don't make things right with God. They begin, things begin to harden in our life. We begin to harden our heart, our spiritual heart, a little bit from God. And we need a cleansing. We need repentance. We need to be refilled at that point with the Spirit. Now, when we are filled with the Spirit, this verse says something happens to us. He says, you're going to receive power. Now, there's a lot of different words for power in the Greek. But this particular word is very appropriate because it, it, it's the word dunamis, where we get our, our word dynamo or dynamite from. Now, one thing about dynamite, though I've never, never used it, but you know, I've, I've watched the Westerns. And um, I know that they don't get a stick of dynamite or a, a lot of dynamite, they kind of wrap it up together. They don't sit there, you know, we, we, this would work better if we poured nitroglycerin on it, or it won't work without the nitro. No, because the dynamite doesn't need anything else to be powerful. God's spirit within your life doesn't need anything else. He's a dynamo within himself. He's dynamite within himself. He has power within himself. And he says, to do what? He says, be my, look in verse eight, witnesses in Jerusalem. That would be more like Oviedo, I guess, for us. Judea, that's Florida, Samaria, United States, and to the end of the earth. He says, you're gonna have enough power, enough resources to be witnesses everywhere, both in your community and abroad and everything in between. Now, this Greek word is martyr, where we get our word martyrdom from and people being killed for their faith. And it's a really a legal term. And it has to do with being on a witness stand, witnessing to something that you've seen or heard. So therefore, you have to be an observer. You have to observe something. You have to observe the truth of Jesus Christ yourself. 
then you have to tell someone about it. It's to speak out boldly for the cause of Christ. It's just like the good news track. You're going to share with people. Why? Well, it's the truth. You have it, but in order to be a witness, you've got to share it. And in order really to have the power, you've got to share it. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, let me share with you. I'll just give you an example of me this morning. Okay? I'm sitting in my study about 9 o'clock, 9.15, kind of finishing up, kind of studying a little bit. Just make it, you know, the sermon kind of fresh on your mind. And I just said, you know, God, I am not ready for this. I, have, I don't have the energy that I need this morning like I do some Sunday mornings. Some Sunday mornings I have it, some I don't. I just don't seem to have the get up and go, you know. And so uh, fire me up right now. And sometimes he does a little bit so I can study better. But basically, the fire doesn't come until I do it. That's what I'm saying. God doesn't, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that God stores up power within you. And you're just ready to explode at any time. And you're just ready, sitting, sitting there on the edge of your seat, waiting for someone to come along so you can share Christ with them. No, you, you step out on faith. You begin to share. And then the power comes to you as you need it. As you need it in your life. We look at this and says, you're going to be witnesses for me. John Stott said this, Bible scholar. He said, we must beware of any claim to the fullness of the Spirit, which does not lead to evangelistic concern and outreach. Well, let me look, go on to point two because point one was way too long. You're going to have to listen faster than this, I, I can tell you. Look, first of all, there's power. Let me give you four or five things real quickly. There's power in the truth. Verse three says, um, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. He was there right before him, 40 days. He proved to them that he is resurrected from the dead. Many proofs, the evidence as he appeared on the Emmaus road to the disciples. And so he was there and it's the truth. Listen, it's not your personal testimony first that comes. That's a secondary, that's a second thing. The application to your life comes second to the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he rose again on the third day and he ascended up into heaven. And right now he's praying for you. Those are truths that we must, the teachings of God, presenting the gospel, knowing, in fact, you cannot be a witness. You can't even be saved yourself without accepting the facts of the gospel, that we are sinners separated from God that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins because we cannot save ourselves. We humble ourselves before God and receive salvation as a free gift because Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He rose again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, according to the scriptures. We've got to believe the facts. We've got to believe the evidence of it. Now, you may be objecting this morning and say, why? Okay, we've sinned. We all know that. But why can't just God just say, okay, you're forgiven? Don't worry about it. I mean, after all, you said you're sorry. Why did he have to come in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, the son, and die on the cross for our sins? I mean, why can't we just say, I'm sorry? Well, let me ask you this. Imagine yourself. Put yourself in the place of a person that's sitting in a courtroom and on trial was a man, a young man, we'll say, that killed 
your spouse. That's pretty dramatic, pretty, pretty far out there. But you're sitting there and you want, you want justice. And the man says, look, Your Honor, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I promise not to do it again. But you've done it three times. But I promise not to do it again. And he just says, okay. Now, he's sorry, folks. He's sorry. And I believe that he's sorry. And so we're just going to forgive him and you're free to go. Now, you would say, well, that's just unjust. That's just not right. Well, you would impeach that. You would try to impeach that judge. Now, if we expect that of a judge, why do we expect anything less of God? We've done a crime that has not only hurt God, and been an affront to God, but also an affront to someone that we've sinned against, someone. Someone has suffered for what we've done. And we just say, hey, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, the crime was done. The crime must be paid for, and Jesus Christ had to come and die for that crime, that sin. Others would say, well... We've got the teachings of Jesus, and they're important. But, you know, if we just follow the teachings of Jesus, then we'll be okay. We'll go to heaven. Well, what you're saying really is, if I follow the teachings of Jesus, I can get to heaven on my own. I don't need the cross. I don't need the resurrection. I don't need the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. I did that on my own just by following the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus are crucial but they must be applied to our life. And so we have power in the truth. We know deep down in our heart, when we present the gospel, we are, we are telling people the way to heaven. We are telling people the way of forgiveness. We are sharing with people that they can have hope after this life. We are assured of that. We are assured because we believe the evidence that we find in the scripture. But then there's power in our life. It says that we'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's a promise of the Father, verses 4 and 5. And he says there's going to be a changed life. Look in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at that, this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Where did that come from? I mean, think about it for just a moment. All these miraculous things. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You found him on the Emmaus Road. You walked with him for a while. Now you're walking with him for 40 days. There's no question. The hands, the, the nail prints are in his hands. And he's got this message for you to get out. He says, oh, by the way, Jesus, before you ascend up into heaven, tell us about the kingdom. And he's talking about Israel. They, they still were arguing about who's going to sit on the right hand and on the left hand and be on, be on your throne. Who's going to be the favored ones? They were not ready to share the gospel. Jesus was about ready to hand over the baton of ministry to them, and they weren't ready. They were still thinking selfishly. They were still thinking about the flesh and what's around them. What were they missing? They were missing the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus knew that. And once they received that, that power in their life, Acts chapter 2, once they were really truly born again, once they had made that decision, and prayed, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They had changed lives. Ten out of the eleven died a martyr's death. And the eleventh, John, John the Apostle, died on the island of Patmos as a prisoner. That's where he wrote the book of Revelation. They were willing to do whatever it took, go to jail, whatever it took. And they were benevolent, they were helpful. Anything they could do for people. There was a life change that went on. 
It's a personal application. You know that whatever Jesus Christ says in the Bible, it applied to you. It applies to you. If it applies to you, it's going to apply to them, your friends, your loved ones. In the mid-18th century, the first great awakening took place actually in Great Britain. France and Britain were going through a rich and poor crisis. Both countries going through the same thing. And in France, it ended in a bloody battle, horrible war. But in Great Britain, a second great awakening, a first great awakening was poured out. The Holy Spirit of God took hold of that country. Revival happened in that country. Over 20%, it's estimated, of the people of Great Britain were saved, born again during that time. And the decades to follow, they abandoned the slave trade. They abandoned, or, or rather they took on child labor laws. In fact, everything began to change. Why? Because they begin to see through a different lens. They begin to see through the eyes of God. They begin to see the, the hurt and the pain that was happening all around them. Which brings me to the letter C in your outline, the power to love. God gives you the power to love other people that you don't have really before. And you say, well, I love my loved ones. Well, let's start there. That's the reason I want you to share the gospel to those you know. Because when we know someone, we have a, a real capability of loving them, even if you're not a strong believer. But what about those that you've never met? What about those that you're walking along the sidewalk, maybe in downtown Oviedo here, and you just see them and kind of wave to them? What about even people in the church that you don't wave to? What about people at your work? I remember watching an old movie on television a few years back, and uh, I don't know the name of the movie. It's not worth knowing. It's not worth watching. It's one of those B-movies, real cheesy uh, type things. But these guys had glasses. This guy just happened to run across some glasses this lady had, and he grabbed them up and uh, looked at them. They're sunglasses, nice, nice pair. Looked more like male than maybe a unisex model. So he put them on, and all of a sudden he looked up, and he saw a different world. He saw aliens. I told you it was cheesy. He saw aliens all around him. They had skeletal bodies. I mean, this lady was pushing along um, a baby carriage, looked normal. He puts on the glasses, and she, she's an alien. And he, everywhere he's looking, there's aliens. And they're whispering, he's seeing us, he's seeing us, run. But I wonder if there was a pair of glasses. And we could say, God, I'd like to see the world. And I'd like to see other people the way you see them. And you put on the glasses, and you looked up. And we'll just pretend that with these glasses... You could see on the inside of a person's heart. That is, their outside, their beauty or their non-beauty, was reflected about what was going by what was going on, on the inside. And you looked, and you saw the heartache of people. You saw the addictions. You saw this person that was abused when they were young. You saw another one was hurt at church, or hurt by God. They they thought because they didn't have the answer to prayer that they particularly wanted. So they wanted to hear nothing about it. You saw the hurt in their life of a loved one going away from God and they're praying that they would come back. All the hurt, all the pain, just the way Jesus sees it. When you're filled with the Spirit, you look out and you're sensitive. Just like during the first great, great awakening in 
in England, Britain, Great Britain, they begin to see things, needs, and they begin to see people lost, needing a shepherd, just like Jesus saw them. You can love that much. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have the Spirit of God come and cleanse your heart and anoint you. But then, also, he not only gives us the power of truth and love, but also speech. Because as a witness, if you don't say anything, you can't expect somebody to look at your life and you be so holy that they're going to be drawn to God. And even if they're drawn to God, they don't know the plan of self. They don't know the Bible and what it says about how to receive Christ. We know, as we look at this, lives were changed after Pentecost. And they begin to preach the word of God with boldness. In fact, five out of six times in the Bible, it says they were filled with the Spirit. Five out of six times, it says they spoke the word of God with boldness. Feeling, sensing the power of God as it comes out in your life. It's there. It's there if we would only surrender to Christ and to his spirit. But notice, I want you to see lastly, this morning, real quickly, the urgency of it. And I'll just read uh, verse 11. Jesus is ascending up into heaven. And he says, men of Galilee, said the angels, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In verses 6 and 7, they're asking about the kingdom. And the angel answers them and says, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Is Jesus ascending up? This same Jesus that you see going up is going to come one day. When? They want to know when. They didn't know. The Bible says no one knows the day of the hour. But one thing for sure, when it does come, and if you heard the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us that the chances that age of grace is over, the spirit has departed. See, we take time for granted. We take people for granted. We take time and people around us just for granted. But when is, when is your last shot at receiving the Lord? It could be when you die. It could be when you've quenched the spirit of God so much that he no longer draws you and you don't feel. In fact, you, you leave here today and say, wow, I really felt like I needed to be saved today. But you never feel that way again. Because no one can sense that and feel that and get saved without the Spirit of God drawing them and revealing to them repentance in their life. And the third thing is, is when Jesus comes back again. All those people that were thinking, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to witness to them. I am. I'm, I'm, I know I need to. I've got my one. You know, and I, I need to build that relationship. And I believe in that. But you build that relationship and you keep building and keep it. But you never come to a place of sharing Christ. Adrian Rogers, who uh, one of the most gracious men I've, I've ever met, known, wonderful pastor, used to pastor at uh, Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee for many, many years, had uh, love, worth, love Worth Finding. You can still see it on TV, even though he's been gone for several years, been dead for several years. But he tells a story of, uh, I think he was still at Merritt Island, when he went into the hospital because he had a he had a, a message that um, there was this man that he had talked to just a few months before that was in the hospital. He might be dying. So he goes to the hospital. He sees this man's daughter crying 
on the bench right outside uh, the hospital in the waiting room. And uh, near the waiting room, he, he sits down with her. And he says, what's wrong? What's going on? And she says, my, my dad just passed away. I didn't get here in time. He passed away. And he was trying to comfort her as best he could. And she says, you don't understand, Dr. Rogers. For years, ever since I received Christ, I've wanted to witness to my dad. But I never did. I never did it. And now he's met eternity without God. And Dr. Rogers says, I'm so sorry for your loss. But the good news is he did not meet eternity without God. A couple of months ago, I had a chance to share Christ with him. And he received Jesus into his heart. And then he said something that was uncharacteristic of him. And I think because he knew the lady so well, been in his church for many years. And he says, but think about it for just a moment. If it had been up to you, he would have met eternity without God. The tragedy is most of us don't have a Dr. Rogers in our life. We just don't have one of those things where, oh, somehow, some way, somebody else is going to do it. Sometimes it's just me. Sometimes it's just you. Who is it that you're praying for? Who is it that you've been praying for the opportunity for a long time? Oh, I might offend them. We've gone over all that before. Look at those messages the past weeks. You can't get them any more lost. You just can't. You can't fail. You pray for them. You go for it. You share Jesus with them before it's too late. We're going to have an altar call in just a moment. What I'm going to ask you to do is say, again, you maybe come for the last couple of weeks, but you're coming again. So I'm praying for this one, but I'm praying for my one, the one I'm really praying for, that I would have an opportunity to share the best news with them this week. Or at least soon, the next time I see them. You're praying for them. But then if you've never received Jesus into your heart, When is that last moment for you? When does that last opportunity come? And you say, well, are you saying I'm going to scare you? You're trying to scare me? I'm going to die tomorrow? Well, you might, but chances are not real heavy on that end. I know that. I'm not trying to say that. But what if you left here today and you said, man, I really felt this tugging at my heart and and a little pressure there. I know I needed to be saved. I, I was convicted of my sin, but next week I might make a decision. And the next week, you don't come back. In fact, or you do come back. You say, well, I, I didn't feel that heavy about it this time. must not be that big of a deal. The Spirit of God is withdrawing himself. He's, he's giving you so many chances. Oh, what if Jesus were to come back? We're certainly in the last days. I, I think we can all look at our newspaper or our computers and find that out, suspect that. So what about you? Wouldn't you like to receive Jesus right now? Wouldn't you like to just say, hey, whatever, as one friend of mine told me this past week, whatever you have to do inevitably, do it immediately. That's the whole point. Let's, let's turn and worship God. Let's turn and have Jesus Christ as our Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's the cry of your heart today, if you really want to do that today, pray this prayer with me right now. You can pray it. Silently or aloud as I pray it. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross 
and dying for my sins, I open up my heart's door and I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of my sin. I make Christ Savior and Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.